Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC out of Gainesville, Florida. This is the latest in our weekly update series. Today, uh, this is uh, Dr. Reed Hayes. I'm joined by colleagues Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, as well as our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And we're going to take a quick tour around the world here, uh, looking at a few issues of interest. Uh, First of all, you know, we all continue to watch in horror and uh, provide what goods and services we can and donations to uh, those trying to help out uh, the horror and tragedy taking place uh, in the Ukraine. And um, and so what we want to do is uh, kind of take a second to acknowledge that. Uh, also, uh, we've just seen in New York City in the subway um, what's happened there with uh, an active killer, active assailant uh, who's wounded uh, with a handgun at least 10 individuals, uh, no known reason yet or in, uh, other than an intent to harm. Uh, as well as using some type of gas or smoke uh, to create confusion or mask or whatever the intent was there. Um, The individual, as we talk today uh, here on Tuesday and Wednesday here um, in April uh, 13th, and we're talking about the individual still on the run, even though it looks like they've now positively identified this individual. Secondly, we'll we'll move on here and talk a little bit about update on the um, SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus as well as the COVID-19 disease that can result from that virus. Um, looking a little bit at the uh, front now where the United States is reporting the CDC and FDA that their U.S. has experienced just about one million deaths, uh, either totally or in large part attributed to uh, COVID-19 disease, um, a, a real tragedy over the last two years. Um, and so we'll stay tuned on that. A little bit about vaccinations, because I think we talk a little bit about it. and We've learned to the, the scientists working on this, the physicians dealing with this, and of course, those of us that might have been affected in, in many, many ways by this understand that that the uh, that the mRNA vaccines, as well as the AstraZeneca and others probably and did in fact uh, dramatically reduce very ser- serious illness and, and fatalities from the virus, um, but did not, by and large, prevent infection. Um, and the original intent was to re- to do really both, reduce infection and reduce disease severity, severity for those that were infected. And uh, the second part, huge, huge win, uh, amazing uh, scientific endeavor, um, global effort, um, and heavily, heavily funded uh, and heavily and rigorously researched. A big win there. But as you look out, we see now worldwide just over 5 billion humans have now been vaccinated with the existing vaccines. In the United States, uh, we're now over well over a quarter of a billion Americans that have been vaccinated. Uh, about 257 million Americans have now been vaccinated. Um, 
But but the big thing we've talked about is we've talked about the idea of how many upcoming vaccines for this and other virus or with this or other viruses, all the variants and subvariants that continue to occur. That's what uh, we see in adaptation and everything. And in criminology, we certainly see that with humans, offenders and victims alike, the adaptations that we all take uh, for all the reasons we know. Um, and so we're seeing now about 119 clinical trials underway for new vaccine candidates. Now, what we're seeing and what I'm reading here is that these are these are uh, vaccine candidates for uh, the SARS-CoV-2, but particularly for COVID-19, uh, because as the new variants and subvariants continue to go, we see some are more virulent or create more serious disease. But lately, we've seen these variants and the others that are just much more transmissible, highly transmissible. Uh, and so this goes back to what we've discussed. Now, what percentage of these vaccine candidates uh, are designed to address the first part of the of the equation to solve here, and that is reducing an infection for an individual. Um, and so by and large, it looks like, of course, the viral particles, the way a virus transmits itself is typically airborne, can be surfaced. We saw that's not as common uh, or almost not even very relevant now uh, with uh, the SARS-CoV-2, um, is through inhaling primarily through the nose, and um, but through the mucosal system evidently going down into our respiratory system and beyond through blood uh, borne transmission or you know through our circulatory system so the the idea always has been should we look at nasal um, uh, administration of the vaccine since the transmissibility of these uh, viruses are so heavy uh, what can we do there to block potential infection before it gets too far start that blocking before it progresses at all or very much, certainly down in the system, where now if it does progress, that's where the other vaccines that we've been using come in handy. There are immune systems ready for that and reduces typically overwhelmingly uh, the severity of the disease that we're now going to incur. Um, and so maybe our immune systems are able to clear us more rapidly, with fewer serious symptoms and outcomes, uh, and then also help us maybe rebound and provide some longer-term immunity, both from the natural infection as well as the uh, immunity that's conferred uh, by the vaccine. So I looked at a couple. One is this Cyanvac, and again, I, we're not here to endorse or uh, act like experts in any medical way here at the LPRC, not what we do, but just talk about and understand, because uh, for those of us, and there are now five of us that are research scientists here at the uh, LPRC and the University of Florida crime prevention team, um, we look at these uh, these issues we're dealing with with serial robbers and burglars and or, or our ORC organized retail crime boosters and fences and so on is being very viral and uh, how they move and how they communicate and how they act and, and so on and how they adapt and overcome all the barriers that we try and put out there for them to increase their risk, uh, their their uh, uh, reduce their reward and increase their effort that they've got to take to be successful. Um, so with Cyanvac, what they're talking about, that's nasally administered, and there are many, many other candidates uh, under um, either preclinical or clinical, clinical trial testing right now, phase one, two, and three. Uh, so overall, what they're seeing with that is that seems to maybe provide some additional protection, if not a lot of, confer a lot of protection, again, uh, to block actual infection, not just the progression of that infection that might result from the exposure to the viral particles. So um, 
stay tuned on that. This seems to be a way out. Uh, again, there are many in there. I mentioned almost 120 clinical trials, 54 in phase one, 46 candidates in phase two, and now 50 vaccine candidates in very rigorous phase, uh, excuse me, yeah, phase three uh, randomized controlled double-blind trials. Um, there are now 19, by the way, emergency use authorization uh, authorized vaccines out there now around the world, as well as a dozen, 12 uh, that are fully approved, including the three in the United States. Um, another interesting look real quickly here before we turn our attention away is uh, another one that looked like it was called Vaxart. It's a pill, but in the pill is maybe more for influenza type viruses, not coronaviruses, which is what COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 is. Um, but that the vaccine pill is designed and seems to, again, uh, have a lot of uh, immune action or blocking or protective action in the nasal passages to, again, preclude infection or reduce the infection at the very beginning before it progresses. So, um, or before it can progress. So it's, these are interesting. This seems to be the way out. Uh, one issue I noted, though, in, the, in reading some of the literature and the articles out there were the funding isn't necessarily there. Of course, we had under the prior administration, continuing in the current administration in the U.S., um, a ton of funding that was provided for vaccine development and vaccine purchase in mass. Um, a lot of that is now gone. So it'll be interesting to see and uh, relevant to see if the U.S., the current administration, restores some funding for some of these new trials or increases it, uh, as well as U.K. and other um, governments around the world particularly with an eye toward those vaccine candidates that might block that, that uh, infection at the beginning point. Um, turning over uh, therapies, there continue to be dozens and dozens of therapies in phase one, two, and three trials to help us get through it if we are in fact infected and may particularly if we're especially vulnerable to any type of infection, particularly a viral one, in this case, the coronavirus type of virus. Um, and uh, so now what we'll do is turn over talk a little bit about the LPRC. Um, and so we are, uh, there'll be three or four of us, it looks like from our team at the Retail Industry Leaders Association, uh, RELA, uh, AP conference uh, that'll be taking place in Orlando, April 25th through the 27th, coming up here really quickly. Um, we will have a, uh, a booth gratis of our Retail uh, Industry Leader uh, Association or RELA partners. We're very grateful for that partnership with them. And uh, they're providing us a free booth space. So we will see you there. Dr. Corey Lowe on our team will also be participating in one of the uh, sessions based on some research that, that we've been doing um, with the retailer and with some technology. So look for Corey Lowe, if you would. Um, C-O-R-Y, Dr. Lowe, uh, will be presenting and will be there as well as myself and a couple of others on our team. Uh, we're excited to be there. In conjunction with RELA and in support of that conference and encourage uh, a lot of engagement there. Uh, we have an open house. We mentioned this before, April 27th and April 28th in Gainesville, Florida at our five lab uh, cons, uh, our, our suite here that we've got at the UF Innovate Hub. We welcome any and all of you that are interested in, in meeting and greeting and touring and, and brainstorming with us on April 27th and 28th uh, in Gainesville at the LPRC's uh, uh, place of business, if you will and uh, operations at lpresearch.org is the way to get involved there. Um, we're also in that same time frame, frame have a solution partner webinar for all LPRC 
solution providers or partners, all those that provide solutions to our members. And, and we're talking about about 90 corporations that are members of the LPRC to provide solutions uh, to our retailer partners here, members uh, of which are about 70 corporations plus all their divisions and chains and banners. Um, we invite you to join, uh, get a hold of us at LPRC uh, by uh, operations at lpresearch.org, but on April 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So April 28th, 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, we'll be putting on a one-hour webinar where we're discussing all the ways that an SP, a solution partner, can get engaged uh, in the community, engage with all the retailers and other SPs um, for uh, single uh, as well as integrated solution sets along a lot of case studies, theft, fraud, and violence issues that they've got. So please, uh, you can either reach out to operations at lpresearch.org or to Tom, T-O-M, Tom at lpresearch.org to get involved in the SP uh, webinar for LPRC members. Uh, we've got a, an S3 summit coming up uh, at sometime in the summer. That's being set right now as we speak. S3 being a SOC and and uh, sensor summit, <laughs> not easy to say, uh, but we're looking at uh, the amazing work that's going on. Orion uh, San Angelo, a researcher on our team, is putting together with a host of retailers and a host of uh, cutting edge solution partners, an amazing security operations center, EOC, um, that's fully functional, uh, is coming together, as well as our Fusion Net platform built in uh, Discord. Um, so those that have interest in the SOC and Sensor Summit, please get a hold of Orion, O-R-I-O-N, at lpresearch.org, or again, at operations at. Um, we have a uh, Violent Crime Summit, uh, Dr. Sarah McFan. Sarah is putting together uh, with Basha and other leaders on that Violent Crime Working Group. Uh, date to be determined, but it will be held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, in part hosted by our CAP Index uh, member partners here. Um, and so that, again, will be this summer, a product protection summit that Dr. Corey Lowe is putting together. Um, get a hold of Corey, C-O-R-Y, at lpresearch.org for more information on the product protection summit. The supply chain protection summit put together by Diego Rodriguez. So it's Diego at lpresearch.org. Um, and uh, research support provided by Orion as well on that. Some really cool projects underway to help inform that as well as Coming up October, the first week in October, Impact, 2022 Impact in Gainesville. Content, logistics, all the planning is well underway now. Um, and so we're excited for Impact 2022 version. Um, so please join us any and all of these events. They're for you all, and uh, as well as the seven working groups that continue to meet every month by teams. Um, those are all part of the LPRC experience, the community, the ecosystem. Um, some of the projects, again, that are moving pretty quickly here, the aggressive homeless project done by uh, Sarah, Dr. McFan, uh, robbery mapping by James Martin, a research scientist. Uh, he's also working on shrink and loss mapping. Um, he's tying in with uh, Corey Lowe, Dr. Lowe, on the ARCS project, which we'll hear more about later. Um, you'll see that we're, uh, again, I mentioned the SOC and FusionNet with Orion working away uh, night and day on that. Uh, active assailant research, um, both markers or red flags that Sarah's working on, um, the fuel theft, uh, and we're going to be working on some mapping there. That's a combination of Sarah working with James Martin. Um, 
guarding off-duty, third-party or proprietary guards, that kind of guardianship. Um, Sarah's putting together panels um, and research along that. Um, and then we've had some active shoplifting boosters, offenders in our labs this week and last week and more to come. Uh, we're, we've got some really good boosters that we're talking to right now, um, exposing to the things, getting a ton of feedback. So we'll update on that. Uh, and, and there are probably another dozen or more research projects at least underway as we speak. So enough from, uh, from Reed Hayes. Let's now turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you would, take it away. Thank you, Reed. Uh, let me start this week with one of my favorite studies that comes out every year from RIS News. Just published was the 32nd annual retail technology study, which this year is titled Rising Dig Digital Divide Lists Retailers Ships. The RIS annual retail technology study explores the current state of the retail landscape and benchmarks technology spend across more than 80 distinct retail solutions. As our digital savvy consumers continue to demand a personalized, tailored experience, regardless of their preferred shopping channel, retailers are investing in technology's firepower to provide a differentiated experience for the consumer. So the big question this year with all the COVID uh, around us is, is the glass half full or half empty? It all depends, the study says, on your perspective. Retail has certainly faced its fair measure of challenges over the past two years, but the industry glass is definitely half full and rising fast. I would totally agree with that assessment. 84% of those surveyed report that revenues have increased over the past 12 months, and 42% of retailers said they have increased by more than 10%. Savvy retailers quickly pivoted in the face of the ongoing COVID-induced disruption and continue to reinvent themselves in response to workforce challenges, supply chain woes, and digitally empowered consumers that increasingly demand a personalized path to purchase. When asked the one word that best described the past year and the current state of the retail industry, the top responses were evolving, dynamic, changing, fluid, and unpredictable. The top three challenges identified over the next three years are dealing with legacy systems, employee engagement and wages, and application integration. The top three driven technologies, tech-driven technologies for the next 12 months are improving IT networks and network safety, expanding unified commerce, and developing personalized marketing capabilities. More than 57% of retailers uh, report an increase in tech expenditures compared to 2021 levels, and 13% plan on increasing their IT budgets by 13% year-on-year. Overall, retailers report that an amazing 12% of their annual budget is currently allocated to information technology. The store is still the undisputed revenue king of the retail enterprise, the study says, and investment continues to flow into brick-and-mortar operations. However, this year, the study saw 
less investment in physical retailing, and a bigger investment and commitment to digital efforts. The top three investments today are curbside pickup, real-time store monitoring and KPIs, and digital devices, which includes things like signage, kiosks, magic mirrors, etc. The top three investments over the next two years are shopper tracking capability, location-based sensing for marketing communication, and digital devices once again. So a great study. Uh, I encourage you to read the entire study. It's available on the RIS News website. Some good data to help uh, prioritize what other retailers are prioritizing and also what you should engage with the LPRC on. And finally, let me end this week with uh, a very interesting uh, editorial that appeared in the Wall Street Journal this week uh, and then appeared on the weekend this Sunday. And it's America's shoplifting epidemic. Retail theft seems to have been normalized in many U.S. cities. Uh, and again, very, very interesting. And very uh, that the Wall Street Journal will actually spend time on this. Directly quoting from them, walk into any big city pharmacy these days and you'll notice that much of the merchandise is located in plastic cases, uh, dishwater Dishwasher pods, shaving cream, even shampoo, shampoo bottles are locked up to reduce losses for an has become a shoplifting epidemic. Two recent reports show the scope of the stealing. Business.org surveyed more than 700 small businesses and found that 54% had an increase in shoplifting last year. 23% said it happens daily. The National Retail Federation surveyed 61 medium to large retailers and found that organized retail crime cost on average more than 700,000 per 1 billion in sales in 2020. Mike DeAngelis, a spokesman for the CVS drugstore chain says, our store experienced a 300% increase in retail theft incidents since the pandemic began. In New York City, complaints rose by nearly 16% between 2019 and 21, according to police. The clearance rate, which means when a suspect is arrested or identified, dropped to 28.4% from 48.5% over the same period. That's an amazing stat that it dropped the clearance rate that much. In San Francisco, retail theft drove five Walgreens stores out of business last October. The U.S. Chamber on Commerce responded to urge Congress to pass the integrity, notification, and fairness in online retail marketplaces for Consumer Act. The legislation will require Amazon and eBay and other online platforms to verify the identity of any seller who makes 200 or more sales valued at a total of $5,000 or more a year. When a seller passes $25,000 in annual sale, the online platform would have to disclose publicly the seller's name and current contact details. Proponents said the law would increase transparency and make criminals think twice before they use an online uh, site to sell stolen goods, but it would also increase regulatory burden on legitimate small businesses. This is a federal attempt to solve what is, what is a state and local failing, the Wall Street Journal says. 
The Chamber also cites a finding from the National Retail Association of, for Shoplifting Prevention that, that said that at least 40 states have changed the threshold to allow thieves to steal more while facing lesser charges. Tesla goods worth than less than $950 is a misdemeanor in California. Cause and effect. The National Retail Federation reports that nearly two-thirds of retailers have seen more theft in states where the penalties were downgraded. The political assault on the police has also reduced the number of cops across the U.S., even as homicide, shooting, and other violent uh, offenses have surged. That leaves fewer cops to address crime like theft. In cities with progressive prosecutors, even repeaties are often freed without legal consequences. The Chamber recommends a state change the criminal code to address organized retail theft and increase penalties. Fine with us, said the Wall Street Journals, but cities also have to end the impunity that is driving the stealing spree. So really, really interesting uh, editorial from the Wall Street Journal, very appropriate to the work that's being done at the PRC in terms of combating this crime. Again, I would encourage you to also look for that which appeared this weekend. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Reed. Uh, hopefully uh, you guys can hear me okay. I'm remote and taping on a different device, but just a, a, a couple kind of updates uh, and things that are going on that we've been speaking about over the last few weeks. Uh, one, where we mentioned last week the Twitter uh, purchase from Elon Musk of that 9.2% uh, stake, the largest shareholder, where news reported first that he was going to be a passive buyer, just someone that bought Twitter and, and uh, as a stockholder uh, without getting involvement. And there was um, <laughs> talk of him potentially joining the board, which would be opposite of a passive, you know, quite the, quite the polar opposite of a passive uh, buy. And then it led to what I would say was the next piece of Elon actually saying that he was not interested in being on the board. Uh, so it was, uh, yes, I'm interested. No, I'm not. And uh, I am going to make a couple projections today. It's a, I'm taping on a Tuesday at, uh, that, that's our normal taping time. And um, I think what we're going to see is potentially, I have no evidence for this, that that this could, and there's a lot of news reports that are saying this, this could be, uh, if he doesn't go on the board, an avenue to potentially do a hostile takeover and actually buy all of Twitter uh, also could be uh, a place where he just will continue to buy up shares uh, and try to leverage you know, not being on the board means a whole bunch of different things to a whole bunch of different people. Uh, it could mean, it, it could be nothing. It could just mean that he wants to be involved in the company. It could be other things. And one of the things that's very interesting is Twitter has been extremely, um, uh, extremely relevant in the news over the past couple of years because of the election and all of the other things and some of the big tech censorship piece. And it's this very, very tough challenge of being a big tech company because you're faced with, you aren't actually required to protect someone's speech, right? Because you are actually a private company, right? So you don't have a legal requirement uh, to protect speech, but there is this kind of 
um, quasi-environment of, hey, shouldn't you? So there's a lot of things that go into whether or not you should protect the you know, people's speech. And it means that there's a person or a company having to get involved in what's right and what's wrong. So I think Elon has oh, vocally expressed his concerns with the stifling of free speech on some of these platforms. And I'm someone who writes often about privacy uh, and writes often about social media and is actively involved and considered uh, a subject matter expert on social media intelligence gathering. And what I would say is that this is something that I struggle with. If, you know, you want to you wanna curtail misinformation, but you need a a real definitive way to identify what's misinformation versus someone's opinion. So more to come on that. I think it's it, it definitely is interesting. Why am I talking about it here? Because I do actually think it affects us because Twitter is actually um, one of the engines that I use the most uh, when I'm working with the LPRC and the Fusion Net because it has such a vast amount of traditional media on it. So thought it was interesting, uh, thought it was relevant. Uh, we continue to see COVID lockdowns in China. So uh, this is a very, very interesting um, kind of you know, part, the uh, tail end of, when I say tail end of COVID, as we open up places in the U.S., uh, in China, there have been significant, significant lockdowns. And if you watch some of the news, you're actually um, you know, seeing enforced lockdowns where people aren't allowed to leave buildings. And it's a... Uh, it's happening in multiple different areas of China, and this unfortunately as uh, is, is is going to affect the global community in the way it did early on with supply chain. Um, some of the the largest tech hubs in the world are being um, shut down, and there are, obviously we we kind of know what to expect and how this will play out uh, because we've done this before now, meaning that these will eventually open up. But uh, as the globe re- really requires China for components, we continue to see this long drawn out supply chain disruption. And we believe that we will actually continue to see this for several months to come. Uh, and you, you, there are some numbers like, um, you know, there, there are things like 20 to 30% of iPhones uh, being made in China. They're, you're starting to see people move to other countries to, kind of have backups. And I know that people often say to me, supply chain, why can't you just open another factory? Well, we talked about this very early on on the podcast, but you know, it takes six to nine months to open a fabrication factory if you can get all the equipment. And a lot of the chip making equipment is in sparse demand. And one article I just recently read said that chip making equipment would used to be you know, three around a three month lead time is now an eighteen month lead time. So there is a domino effect here happening here. We are still um, looking at you know different ways to manage the the supply chain challenges, and I do think it's something relevant that we'll continue to bring up. Also, wanted to circle around something we talked about last year with around a T Mobile breach that impacted personal data of thirty million people. Uh, there is uh, you know some court documents that came up. Uh, that just recently were made public where you know the the company did actually T-Mobile as a company did pay uh, $200,000 in cryptocurrency to obtain data and prevent a further further leak um so a lot of a lot of time these documents come out people are shocked or or confused at what this means and this is one of the things i also say often is that when you're involved in a ransomware and a data breach um you'll have a lot of 
emotionally charged conversations about whether to pay the the bad guys, if you will, the the red guys, the 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 hackers, the nefarious actors. And the answer is largely that it's a business decision. Um, I've been involved in a lot of cases unrelated um, to retail where someone will say, "Should I pay?" And you know, the the answer is sometimes paying is actually a quicker exit. Uh, and this is kind of um, honor among thieves. So I was involved in one case, and the ransomware was a very large group of ransomware folks, and you know what what was said in plain English, um, this was a group out of Russia, was if you pay us, we'll give you back your files. And look, the only way we can get people to pay us is if we actually give back the files. If we if we were known for not giving files keys, no one would pay us. And it's actually a pretty accurate statement. That sounds crazy and quasi-intuitive. And yes, um, there are studies to show about 40% of people that, don't, that pay don't get their files back. Um, so depending on what study you read, so there is risk there. But for a company like T-Mobile, that $200,000 that was released in a court document, I don't know how accurate it is. I'm obviously was not directly involved. To me, it sounds like a business decision that they made to further mitigate potential loss. Um, I'm sure they had some experts involved there uh, looking at it with it. But I think you, we continue to see these things. And I think that it is actually a pretty smart um, way to look at it if you think about what could occur. Um, Vice did this just to, to kind of give credit. Vice did this story. So I thought it was a really good um, thing to talk about too. Um, and then – Last kind of uh, piece here, because I don't I don't think we we talk about it as much is TikTok. TikTok is one of the largest growing um, video platform, and really, I mean, substantial growth. Uh, and it has a, a very it's been in the news uh, has a very very negative condensation with it because there's Chinese government owned. And um, what I often say is it's very similar to other. Social media is out there. They're making money on your data, your videos. Uh, you know that's how they make their money. They get advertisers in there. They have a, a, a ridiculous amount of growth. It's almost um, it dwarfs anything that's out there today. And they have a really advanced algorithm, the most advanced algorithm I've ever seen. Um, uh, almost frightening algorithm in the sense that uh, it, it really, after just a very short period of time can figure out exactly what your viewing preferences are um, and does a remarkable job of doing that by who you're friends with. And uh, my my TikTok feed is loaded with videos about cybersecurity and current events. And um, it's a very interesting, you know, uh, interesting algorithm that really does uh, intrigue me and how it works. Well, they recently just announced that they're going to do public access uh, to an AR platform. Um, and so I think we're going to see um, a little more AR with their videos, more augmented reality, and, and it's going to continue to grow on that platform. And I, it's very reminiscent of Snapchat was years ago, although I think for everyone listening here, it is a better tool to use for active intelligence and open source intelligence. Uh, a little little shorter to, than than usual. Um, as we're taping right now, I know we'll talk about it next week. Um, I'm seeing news reports of uh, an active shooting incident in New York City. Um, it is definitely too early to talk about it because it's happening, I think, literally right now. Um, so I know that we'll talk about that um, next week and probably activate the fusion net. Uh, but with that, please, everyone stay safe and back over to you, 
reading. All right. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks so much, Tony, uh, for all the great insights. Thank you to Diego Rodriguez, our producer. Uh, mostly, I want to thank you all out there, though, the listener, the participant. We always, always are interested in your feedback, your engagement with us. There's no way we're going anywhere or getting better without you. So your feedback is critical to us. Your questions, your comments, your suggestions, operations at lpresearch.org. So stay, stay safe out there and stay in touch. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 